When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Unsuckable Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Feed, and once again joined by Adrian Sosas. Adrian, how's it going? It's going very well. It's going very, very well, Manuel. I am looking forward to this episode because I, as we were chatting about earlier, I was trying to put up a shelf and getting it level and everything. It's just an absolute headache. So this is going to be a huge, huge relief and a great thing to take my mind off of shelves. Yeah, quick uh, Friday update from us few things that we need to discuss and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the three topics that we have. It's really just three topics this week. So quick and quick and easy update for you for your weekend. But yeah, helping us doing it is Josh, Josh Deming. Josh, um, dude, it's classical weekend. How nervous are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty nervous. Uh, I'm nervous for a few reasons. The big, I mean, the big thing every season with, with Dortmund is the fact that there's a few defining matches throughout the season that tell you whether you're going to have a good title race for the majority of the season or not. And the last real good title race we had is, is, is after when we beat Bayern at home. We ended up losing that by a couple points, but it's, it's yeah, it's a classical weekend. If we win it, we're in first place. We lose it, we're four points behind, which would obviously mean two matches would have to be dropped by Bayern. So there's a lot of pressure and it, it could really define the season. So yeah, not, not feeling great. Not feeling great right now. Yeah, it's a it's a big one, and we'll, of course we'll we'll try to cover it um, or preview it real quickly. Um, yeah, and once again back, Filippo. Filippo, how's it going? How's your knee? My knee's doing good, doing good. Just th- going through the patience phase, right, where you yeah. can't put it on the ground, but there's no pain. You feel like you can, but you shouldn't. So that's what I'm going through, and it's an interesting moment for me in soccer now because all the events that directly relate to me are very relaxing, right? It's a USA friendly Palmeiras won the Libertadores and I was just waiting for next season. Manchester United now is going through a transition phase with Ralph Ragnick taking over. So for me, I'm just enjoying it. And and all these great games that are going to go on, they really don't get me nervous. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the year, actually. Excellent. Yeah. I think um, we have a lot to discuss and Filippo, I'm going to go straight. Um, Straight to you because Manchester United beat Arsenal 3 2. Um, Carrick was officially in charge, but it seems like Rangnick, even though he's, you know, he hasn't been sitting on the bench yet, he seems like he's already kind of putting his fingerprints on this team, right? Yeah, there, there's no doubt that he's playing a role on some of the selections there. At the same time, the last game against Arsenal, we got to talk about how Ronaldo was key, right? Two goals out of the three goals. I think he's playing a role already, but I, I think every Manchester United fan, what they need to understand is Ragnick has to be for the long term to focus, right? Manchester United is going to have to make a few signings to so he can fit his system, which we know it's going to be Gegenpress Press eventually. Uh, I don't think all players in the roster suit it, so we got to be patient with what he has to work right now. Yeah, Adrian, I want to bring you in as well because you kind of mentioned it before the show that. Um you know, with with the whole Ronaldo situation, the fact that he's gotten benched, you suspected that that was already his decision, or 
you know, his call because that's the sort of call that Rangnick would make, right? Yeah, that's sort of what it seemed like with that first match that Michael Carrick was in charge in because he ended up, you know, bringing Ronaldo on off of the bench. But, you know, he did start him against Arsenal and he did play a role. He was sort of guilty of the classic Ronaldo searching for that milestone goal, which he did get eventually, but I can count two overhead kicks that he attempted before he actually scored some four shots when he should have passed. Um, but in the end, I mean, you can't argue with the guy and the impact that he's had on United's season so far. Um, that goal to get his 800th and then his 801st from the penalty spot. Rangnick was speaking about how these matches, for him, the most interesting thing that, or the most pertinent thing that they need to tackle would be that they have to start sorting out their defense because they're conceding an average of two goals per game. So I think that that's going to be his main focus. And I actually do sort of believe that Rangnick if anyone would be the kind of guy that would be able to find a balance in order to have that bit of a pressing game. Maybe he can get Ronaldo to push a little bit more and then uh, still get use out of his bucket loads of goals that he provides. Yeah. I, I also think what a lot of us Manchester United fans need to realize is Ronaldo, a lot of, it seemed like some people are trying to push Ronaldo already out of Manchester United. He's going to, he has contract for this season and next season. And what Ralph Ragnick's going to do is he's going to slowly build the team he wants for the long term. So we're going to have Ronaldo for the next season as well. And we're probably going to make a few good signings, maybe more towards the summer rather than the winter. And then the other season, we're going to make another good amount of signings. And then hopefully by then, Manchester United has a system and is back to a team that's dominant in the Premier League, always competing for titles. Can we talk about one thing real quick? Because I wanted to get everyone's take here. Can we talk about Arsenal's first goal in this game that was allowed? In in my opinion, it was fairly allowed. I wanted to hear maybe go with Manuel first or Adrian or Josh. I don't know who saw it, where David De Gea was on the ground, um, apparently injured, but he wasn't really injured. And they allowed the goal. What did you guys think of that? My opinion, it was a fair goal. I, I thought it was fair. And I'm a Manchester United fan, so but I, I still think the goal should have counted for several reasons. But Adrian... Yeah, I mean, I th- I don't know what else the referee could have really called, considering it was Fred who stepped on his own goalkeeper's Achilles heel. And then De Gea goes down, and then the shot goes in before the referee had blown the whistle. So unless he had blown immediately, as soon as De Gea had gone down, it would have been wrongfully blowing the play down, of course. And I think that Arsenal would have had a reason to feel aggrieved. But um, I think in the end, I don't know how what other direction the referee could have called that in. So for me, it it's the only way he could have gone with. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, the funny part about it, because I'm having a good laugh, is like our, the sport gets criticized with theatrics from players all the time. And you, and you see it. And for some people who might not realize this, but I mean, watch when players go down, when they get touched from behind, whether it's a foul, whether it's not. The, one of the first things they do is they just immediately grab the ball. I mean, it's, it's, as soon as they feel contact, they fall to the ground, but they grab the ball as they're falling down because they're assuming because they fell, regardless of the content, regardless if it was a foul, the ref will give it. And you see stuff like that all the time. It's the way it's built into the game. So it's just hilarious watching a player go down, assuming that the ref will just automatically blow the whistle. Play goes on, and David De Gea clearly was fine. He stayed in the game. He was not injured. And I love that that account. It made me made me laugh. And I, if anything, I hope it's just a lesson for players to maybe, hey, maybe it's not the best idea to go down every single time I'm ever touched. Yeah, and I mean, I... I also think that, you know, goalkeepers deserve protection, of course, but sometimes I feel like they get away with a lot more than they should. At times, any little bit of contact with them is called as a foul. And so it was kind of funny to see that contact from his own player and he wasn't rewarded for going down and staying down. And it was just sort of a nice sort of change of pace. Now everyone's going to think that I hate goalkeepers, but I don't. I'm, I'm okay with goalkeepers. Don't worry. 
Yeah, I also agree with in regards to protecting the goalkeepers. But the thing was, if they did disallow that goal, it would kind of open up space for in many different dangerous situations in the game where a team is being pressed or the opponent's getting close to scoring of a goalkeeper just dropping on the floor while a dangerous play is occurring and the ref having to stop it. So I think the ref did the right move right there, the right choice. And that, that's just something I want to move forward and hand the mic back to Manuel. Yeah, I don't think I have much to add. I think you should always play the whistle. So I'm just going to move the topic on. Um, Adrian, the Liverpool derby, the Merseyside derby, we should call it. Um, you had some really cool stats that you we chatted about before um, before this game and in general about Liverpool. And then you mentioned you looked at the analytics and there's really only Manchester City and Bayern Munich that are in the same category than they are in right now. Um, yeah, share. Really, I think that is stuff that you need to share with the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, of course. I think that a lot of people have sort of been sleeping on Liverpool in a sense, just because maybe they got too used to them sort of stumbling last season when they had that crazy, crazy, crazy injury crisis where they lost all of their senior center backs. They had to make loans for players. They had to bring in Kabak, etc. And that just caused a ripple effect throughout their entire team. They had Fabinho pulled from the midfield, Henderson even. There were some times when Henderson was playing center back, Fabinho, they had like in the teens as far as different center back combinations last season. And so this season, Van Dyke's back, Matip's back, Konate, they have a little bit of depth in their center back position. And you can see that it looks like they're back to their best, especially when you look at someone like Mohamed Salah, who's scored, I believe it's uh, 13 goals within the league from 14 appearances. In his best season, 17-18, where he broke those records, he had 12 goals from 14 appearances. So a little bit of a jump up there. Uh, Klopp and his record against Everton is as good as ever. He's only lost to them one time. This was back in February in the midst of that injury crisis. But other than that, I mean, he's he has almost a perfect record against Everton. He's never lost at Goodison Park. And, uh, you know, like you said, when I was looking through the analytics, when it comes to goal scored, when it comes to goal creating actions, shot creating actions, all of these sort of things, the main culprits at the top are either Liverpool at the top, Bayern number two, or Bayern number one, Liverpool number two, and Man City third. It's those three. So if we're looking at teams that are performing at the peak right now, I think that is safe to put Liverpool in there. And it sort of feels like third place in the Premier League is a little bit lower compared to, you know, just what the eye test and what the stats show as far as how well they've been playing. Yeah, I find that kind of stuff fascinating. And uh, I feel like there's a good transition here too now to our next topic because you mentioned Bayern several times here, Adrian. And Josh, it's a big one on Saturday. Um, you know, I think at this stage, anyone who's followed the Bundesliga this season and followed Borussia Dortmund closely and um, watched all of their games, which you certainly did, I certainly did, many other people have as well, and and then they look at the table and they look at it and they see, oh, there's only one point between Bayern and Dortmund. How is that possible? Because Dortmund have not convinced um, at all this season out of the Champions League. Um, some poor games in the Bundesliga, which they won. But there's some silver linings. First of all, Marlon has now scored three games in a row, right? Erling Haaland is back and he came back and he scored a wonderful goal that looked like the Bundesliga logo against Wolfsburg. Um, and it you know, caused a whole bunch of memes because of his celebration and an old lady showing him, giving him the finger in the stands, and which was probably one of the most wonderful moments last weekend. So there is a lot of silver linings. How do you feel ahead of the Classica? 
yeah, that, that celebration was, was hilarious. And if you haven't seen it, you should absolutely check it out. I mean, it was up there with, I mean, we had two beautiful celebrations we've talked about. Atakubi jumping in the snow and Erling Hauling with a nice little point and then getting flipped off by a old Wolfsburg land, <laughs> fan. But yeah, it, it's an interesting one because it was a very interesting interview that Marco Royce was talking about. And I mean, as a lifelong Dortmund fan, it's something that I definitely understand is how many times in the past has, has Dortmund actually played very well and been up a goal and then not taking chances and just seems like they're going to get it done and towards the end of the game, whether they lose it or they end up with a draw, set piece defending, late 90-minute free kick comes in in the back of the net, they drop points. So the interesting thing that Royce was talking about was the fact that, yes, this season, I think as a definition, should be mentioned as shaky. It's Every performance seems to be shaky, nothing super convincing. You can blame that on injuries, structure, new manager, but they're getting results, which is something in the past that... You, you don't really see with this side. They usually are ones that play well, get a ton of chances because it's the way that Dortmund perform, the way that they play. And then through poor defensive plays, they give up late goals and they draw points. And it, it, it's massive because like I, I said earlier, it's a t- kind of do or die game. Bayern, if they get hot and they get that momentum, they can escape so quickly. And we've lost six competitive matches in a row to Bayern, which is just ridiculously sad. A couple of those were, were blowouts, but the last few matches were definitely close and this is an opportunity. If Dortmund really want to show that they're in it this season and to compete for the title, this is a game that you absolutely have to win. You'll leapfrog Bayern, you'll get confidence, and you'll get something rolling. And if you lose it, it's just that psychological thing of losing seven straight competitive matches to Bayern, four points behind him in the table, and it just completely changes the perspective of the rest of this season. Yeah, I, I, I would go along with everything you said. And then maybe some housekeeping as well. There will be 15, 15150000 fans in the stands for this game because of Germany's, of course, uh, COVID situation, which has spiraled out of control. And unlike other countries, Germany actually has opted to do something about it, right? And um, there's a whole bunch of measures that unfortunately also meant I wasn't able to travel back home, which is too bad. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this game. Uh, nonetheless, I'm glad there's at least some people in the stands. And I think there's some interesting things going on with Bayern Munich as well, which is of course the team that I most closely cover and the situation in central midfield with Kimmich, of course, still being speaking of COVID being in quarantine because he has it uh, because he previously chose not to be vaccinated. And um, he's, he's definitely out for this game. I've been asked on Twitter, shouldn't his period be up on Friday? No, it's not because he had to go into quarantine as a close contact two weeks ago which would have been over by friday but then he tested positive afterwards which means his two-week quarantine actually ends from the moment he tests positive so he will be back next week he's out uh leon goretzka julian nagelsmann said today leon goretzka is a 60 50 chance you know there's a 50 50 and i guess with leon goretzka there's a 60 50 um i think if if he, if there is a chance that he could play, I think they will risk it because otherwise the double pivot for Bayern Munich would be Tuliso Musiala. And Musiala is, um, we talked about this before the podcast, and I think this is an interesting chat in itself. I think he's one of the biggest talents in world football, period, full stop. I think Germany was extremely lucky that he opted to play for them rather than England. And he is, um, I think he has the potential to play as a number eight, but I see him personally more as a number 10, like more like it was a Thomas Müller kind of guy, you know, someone who plays between the lines. And I think him playing as a number eight, um, he's not the most physical guy. And um, that is sort of what Joshua Kimmich, despite his small frame, he brings a lot of physicality to his game. He can, you know, he's, he's not someone who gets bullied. You have seen videos of him fighting guys that are, 
you know, Slatan Ibrahimovic kind of players. And um, I don't know if Musiala is quite there yet. So it's going to be interesting to see if they have to go for a double pivot there. Um, there's a lot of muscle missing in this in that central midfield. And I think, Josh, that's probably where, you know, if that is the case, you have Erling Haaland back, that center seems very vulnerable all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I mean, without Goretzka and Kimmich, if we get lucky enough to see both of them not start, that's that's a huge opening. Uh, I, I'm very curious to see how Bayern, because again, like, it's a psychological thing, especially even as a fan, seeing just how much success they've had over us in recent times. It's hard to imagine that we're able to take the game to them. But uh, the last few games between Dortmund and Bayern, it seems like there is a little bit more belief in, in the Dortmund camp that they can get it over the line. And, and this, to me, is a huge opportunity. And and Manuel, you and I have talked about this, the the uprest with the, uh, the sponsorship deal, the COVID situations. And now that Bayern team will look drastically, drastically different if both Kretzka and Kimmich is not in the middle and you have that Tolisso. I'm assuming it'd be somewhat like a 4-1-4-1 type system where Tolisso would be your kind of CDM. Muzala kind of going as that eight with Muller in there as well. But it, it's a it's a big opening and it's one that if Dortmund can do properly, they can definitely exploit it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of noise in Munich at the moment. Like a lot of noise. The AGM that you that you mentioned, right? The whole deal with Qatar and the fans being up in arms against it and wanting it gone, um, which I think is actually, you know, it shows how much 50 plus one works, even at a big club like Bayern, that fans are actively saying like, look, this has to end. And we had fan chants last in the last game where people were chanting Lufthansa, 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 right? Because of the fact that Lufthansa used to be the sponsor of Bayern Munich until Qatar came in and Qatar Air, Air is now the sponsor of um, Bayern Munich. And it's it's kind of funny how the fans are so actively opposed to that. And of course, the fans also chanting, uh, we want to see you get vaccinated and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff and a lot of noise going on at Bayern Munich. And I think people people can't underestimate how much that noise from the fans means in German football. You have the same thing in English football, but it it's kind of doesn't matter because the fans don't have, have a voice in, in the boardroom. In German football, they do because they vote the boardroom, right? So if the fans make a lot of noise... That, that upheaval directly translates onto the pitch. You don't have that anywhere else in European football, maybe with the big two teams in Spain, with Real and Barcelona. And you, of course, you have it in South America. Filippo, you'd probably be familiar with that because it's a very similar system in South America where the fans have a lot of influence, right? But yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think I think for Dortmund, there's a massive opportunity here. I mean, Josh, this is the opportunity. This team is is not in a perfect state of mind. So you kind of have to take that opportunity at the moment and grasp it. You absolutely do. And like I said, I, I truly believe, and it's it's crazy to say, and who knows, it's a long season, but this could be a season-defining moment for Dortmund. And mm-hmm. it really could be because like, it, it's a drastically different. We know how consistent and sometimes unstoppable Bayern can be. And if you give them a four-point lead like that after they just completely took out your basically biggest rivals for the title at home, it's not a good look. But if you're able to finally end that streak, end that six game, knowing there's some unrest in in the side, knowing that a couple of the best players won't be there, you have Holland back, you're getting the results. It, this is a huge opportunity. And I, I don't know how I'm going to be feeling after the match, but I, I'm pretty sure it's going to, to tell me because I, I just can, I can see this season basically being decided from this game. And, and it sounds crazy. At least, maybe not decided, but if Dortmund are able to win it, then I think there's a big title race this season. If not, I don't really know what to expect because it's it's just that big of a game. Yeah, and the game will be, of course, uh, Saturday. 
uh, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 9.30 a.m. Western Time. Um, it's on ESPN in the States and it's on Sportsnet in Canada. So, yeah, it's, I think it's a big one. It's, it's going to be interesting. Um, too bad we don't have a full house. The yellow wall is not in full effect, but it is what it is. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. With the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's move on. Um, Filippo, you called this one. Um, the New England Revolution are out of the MLS Cup playoffs in the most traumatic and probably the best game that we've actually seen in the playoffs um, throughout. I mean, there's been lots of other drama and lots of good storylines, but I think this was the best game. And yeah, the, you called this. You called that New York City will knock out New England Revolution. Yeah, it, it almost seemed. But the thing is, it seems like it, it just felt like it was going to happen, right? We talked about here in the podcast, I believe last week, how New England had two to three weeks where they haven't played a competitive game. And right from the get-go in the game, they would get an informed New York City that was excited coming from a big win against Atlanta United. And New England just seemed rusty. Uh, even we talk about Tejon Buchanan. He was able to blow by defenders the entire season. They were locking him in, which wasn't very common to see. And I always thought the New England back line was very suspicious throughout the season, right? They allowed 40-plus goals. They were one of the worst defense based on goals allowed in the regular season from the playoff teams. And you have Matt Turner on goal, so that just shows how sketchy your back line is. And New York was able to take advantage of that, obviously, and ended as a draw and then went to extra time where New York got the lead again, right, with Tati Castellanos. Sorry, that was during regular time. And then... Wait, now I'm getting confused. Was the goal in extra time? Now I don't remember. But Tati Castellanos got the goal, and eventually he got the red card, which I think yeah, is not he, gonna... he got the 2-1 lead in extra time, and then in shortly extra... after was sent off. Yes, and then Tejon Buchanan got the game-time goal, and it went to penalty shootouts, and then they got the win. They advanced. I think New York would have advanced in regular extra time. It wouldn't have gone to PKs if Castellanos hadn't got that red card. I thought they would have been able to hold it. But it was it's an interesting and, and both finals, both conference finals in MLS are kind of interesting, the teams that are there. And one thing I want to say is if RSL wins and New York wins, which based on everything that happened, it's nothing too crazy. We're going to have a final in a baseball stadium. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. That's absolutely 100% correct. I think, Adrian, you wanted to jump in as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I I can't uh, provide as much insight as far as the matchups go. Um, I, I can say that baseball stadiums for soccer purposes are not ideal. But just looking back at that game, New England Revolution versus NYCFC, 
there was moments in this game where, I mean, you could definitely see, as Filippo mentioned that we spoke about, that is it really an advantage to have that buy into the next round? And it really didn't look like it when it came to the New England Revolution. But throughout that game, it felt like NYCFC were going to just blow chance after chance. I mean, I know there was Medina in like the 20th minute or something. He blew an opportunity. Then later in the second half, he dwelled on the ball too long. And it just felt like if they don't start putting these away, New England are going to punish them. But in the end, they did get the proper result, I found, because based on the entire stretch of the match, New York definitely deserved to go through. Yeah, I thought they were the better team too. Um of course, then they shot themselves in the foot or Castellanos shot himself in the foot by now being out for the, the semi-final. Oh, sorry, the conference final. Um, and I think he's going to be a massive, massive miss against the Philadelphia Union, who are a team that are built so well and, of course, had their own playoff disappointment last year where they won the Supporters' Shield and then went out in the first round, right, against the New, York, England, New, New England Revolution. And um, I think... I think now I'm, I I actually wouldn't be surprised if the union goes through um, after all. But Filippo, you're quite right. We could have it in a baseball stadium. I mean, be, it could also be in Portland, which is a former baseball stadium, but doesn't really count as a baseball stadium at all anymore. Anyone who's been to that stadium is incredible. And I actually think if if Portland met, make the final, I will drive down and go to it because it's a pretty it's pretty good like six seven hour drive from here from uh, from the west coast, just straight line down. So. Um, that'd be fun if that happens. But um, Josh, Tejan Buchanan, I mean, Filippo kind of mentioned it already. He seemed almost hampered a little bit, but throughout the game, you didn't see the sort of spark that you usually get from him. He seemed frustrated. He seemed like a player who wasn't really comfortable in his own skin. And I don't know. I, I, I personally think maybe it's a break, but how did you see it? I definitely agree. I think it was the break. And I, I try to describe, because it's, it's a good debate of whether the, the buy is really... Um, appropriate, and I don't think it is. I think if you're going to do this playoff format, you should some, somewhat make it even in terms of having teams come in in the same kind of form. And I think just make make it easy. Have eight teams qualify from each side. It's very easy. No one gets to buy. No one has any of this because the way to descri- describe it is a team is sitting completely standing still, going up against a team that's in full stride, and that's kind of what we saw. And it, it took Tejon a while to get into the game. And obviously, came up with the the goal at the end that that tied it, which was which was fantastic. But it just seemed like he was a little off. Uh, taking every saw a lot of times Buchanan's got the confidence to take players on 1v1 he loves getting himself in those type of situations sometimes he's successful with it sometimes he's not and when especially when it comes to a player like that who's been off for a little bit he just he wasn't really on it and a lot of the team wasn't and it didn't look like that New England side that was so good through the season I do think eventually they kind of caught their their stride a bit but by that time it it comes down to penalties where it comes down to luck and that's what it is and that's why they New York moved on and the, stand, the two sides that were standing still in first place, Colorado and New England, after such incredible seasons, get out after one game. Yeah, Filippo, um, I'm seeing you. You want to jump on this, so go. Yeah, I just think that sometimes we often don't understand, but sometimes, mostly, sometimes Americans, right? When you're playing football, yeah, you need those two weeks to recover because you're just hitting each other in the game, essentially. There's a lot of injuries. But in soccer, I don't think anything more than a week benefits the team from waiting. Like a full week after a game to recover, prepare, that is good. That benefits. But once you're three weeks out, you're not going to look sharp. You're not going to look the same. And I think it was quite clear with New England. I think in normal circumstances, despite that back line, which some people love Pharrell and Henry Kessler, I personally don't think they're too good. 
and they definitely don't help New England as much as people might think. But they didn't look themselves, especially the offense, right? Because New England, during the season, they had no trouble scoring goals. That was not a problem for that team. Mm-hmm. But in a playoff game, like so, it can be so quickly, right, that you you run into a wall and all of a sudden it doesn't work for you. And um, I think that's the great thing about this format, the playoff format, that you have results like this. But I, I think, and I agree with Josh, the league is now big enough that you can take the top eight from east and west and just have first play against eight, right? Like they do in all the other leagues. Still have single. I, I think people saying have bring back return legs. I'm like, no, no, make it single elimination. Just have another round. And um, I think that's the best way to do it. Um, just have first against eight, second against seven, and so on on both sides and make sure that everyone has the same amount of games because you and I, I you saw it in this. The, you saw it throughout these playoffs. Colorado is the exact same example. Teams are not benefiting from taking a bye. Um, you, you're giving them a disservice. But so, guys, um, <laughs> are we going to see Real Salt Lake in the final now? Is this this is going to happen, right? What do you guys think, Filippo, Adrian, and Josh? Yes. Um, who wants to go first? <laughs> Josh, Josh, go first. <laughs> I, I think so. I just think when it comes to, to playoffs, and again, if especially if you're a you're you're, you're European listener, you're maybe not super um, knowledgeable, I guess, of how a playoff sort of format works in North America. But I mean, depending on the different sports you watch, it's a very custom thing. And you see Cinderella stories all the time. And this to me seems like it's one of them. Not only it didn't start in playoffs, it started the match before decision day, the yeah. way the, the crazy way Real Salt Lake found their way, even in the playoffs, even get a chance to compete for this. They snuck in and that's all that really matters in North America. And it's part of the closed league systems where you don't, you don't really have, I know we're debate. It's a different debate of whether uh, a Gladbach or a, or a, Hoffenheim could do that to, to Bayern, but in a closed league system, the teams are a lot more even. So if you get a team in, in the right moment at the right time that are hot, the way that Real Salt Lake and are with this belief, I wouldn't, I'd put my money right now on, on them winning it. Cause I just think they have that story built around them. They've showed it. They've, they just have everything it is. And they're also playing different kinds of football. They know exactly what to do. They matched up in Seattle in the way that they thought was necessary to get the win. It required zero shots to do so. They got it done in a shootout. And then the next, ne- next match against KC, I thought they took the game to them a lot of the time. So I just feel like they have the right mix right now. And I, and I got my money on them going all the way. So I'm going to actually go with New York City FC. <laughs> I think they're going to go through um, Philly, even though it might it would be an upset. Philly, I think, as a whole, is a better team. And I, I actually have RSL going through Portland. I, I don't think I, the problem with Portland is the team's not 100%, right? And mm-hmm. RSL just seems like they find a way to to pull off results essentially. And and I know they beat the Sounders without playing soccer essentially, but they played a lot better the second game in the playoffs. Yeah. It, they showed they can actually, they can actually score. They can actually produce. So I, I have the final being RSL New York city FC and then anything can happen obviously. But I, I actually think surprisingly New York might actually win this. You know, we were kind of saying that like a final in a baseball stadium wouldn't be ideal. But it's still in New York City. Isn't that something the league would find enticing, Filippo? I mean, there's an argument. Yes, it's not the greatest place, the greatest stadium, but it is in New York. Um, you mean you mean they wouldn't want to put it in the, the Yankee Stadium? Is that what you're saying? Well, I think it's definitely going to be in Yankee Stadium, but, you know, which isn't ideal because it's not a soccer stadium. But, you know, the fact that it is in New York, that is probably something for the league that they're probably pretty happy about. 
Yes, it's um, debatably one of the, well, it's one of the biggest markets in the U.S. Yeah. in general, right? New York City is one of the richest cities in the world, big population. Exactly. Um, it's kind of like when the NBA wants like the New York Knicks to succeed, right? Uh, so, or Brooklyn. Uh, so, yeah, I think the league will definitely be happy with that. They, they would always be happy if it's an L.A. team or a New yeah. York team. So, definitely, yeah, but uh, it is what Not it to is. forget their offices there as well. MLS headquarters, right? That's something else to add. I think the league will definitely be happy if New York at least makes it to the cup. At least. Yeah. Adrian, what do you think? I think that you guys are right in saying that the league would be happy with it because of the market. But I th- it just goes back to the sort of the optics of, you know, the most important match of the season happening in a baseball field that, you know, <laughs> you have players complaining about the size of it and the strangeness of it all the time. And the fact that it's not a soccer specific stadium, it just, it doesn't look great as far as the optics go, in my opinion. So I wonder if MLS is going to maybe host it in a different stadium then. I don't know. I don't know. Could they, I, I don't know how it would work. Is there any, well, they're, they're not going to want to play in the Red Bull arena. That's for mm. sure. Could they put it maybe at MetLife? That's just what I was wondering. I mean, I, this, I'm guessing. I don't have any information about this yet, but I wonder because like the, you, you awarded the New York City FC, if they make the final, they awarded the hosting rights. But nowhere does it say that they have to play it in the stadium that they're playing currently. They could host it in any other stadium that they wanted to, right? So they could go to MetLife. They could go to Red Bull. I don't think they would do that. I think they'd rather stay at Yankee Stadium. But it's an interesting question. Yeah, I think that they might be they might be waiting for the resolution of how the final will be because that might be a problem they might not have to deal with. Um, so once it, it happens, good. they might define it. It could be a good problem to have because all of a sudden the final is New York and MLS could say, hmm, let's make an event out of this, right? Could be, could be. Let's see, let's see what happens. But I, I think they're probably flirting with that idea already. If it does happen that New York yeah. is the host of the final, they might have something planned out. And plus, um, if they can pack MetLife, which is a pretty exactly. big stadium, it'll be pretty cool. Because is the NFL that weekend? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. The Jets play there, right? I, I don't know. I can I can try to check here. I don't follow NFL close enough, but yeah, that could be one of the issues. That could be one of the issues. Yeah, it'd be an inter- It's keeping my eye on this one. Um, I think it's an interesting one. Final one for me. Um, yeah, Ayo Akinola. <laughs> uh, that's that's an interesting story. Yeah, Ayo Akinola's contract ran up at uh, Toronto FC. Need to point out first of all, he's a free agent only internationally. Within Major League Soccer, the rules are a quite bit different. Um, he's not a free agent for a move within MLS. Toronto FC have to make a bona fide offer, to, bona fide offer, which means about 105% of his current contract um, to keep his rights. We can all assume they've done that um, 100%. Um, it would be the due diligence to do so. Which means Toronto FC still have their rights. Now, I heard from a very, very good source, a very reliable source, that Vancouver had a delegation fly to Edmonton um, to talk to Akinola's agent. And um, when I confronted people at the Whitecaps, they were not willing to deny that. So you take you make out of that what you want. Um, I was told by someone in the White Cup, someone very high up with direct knowledge of the negotiations within the squad negotiations that um, rather than denying it, they were saying a transfer is difficult because Toronto have to play ball. 
So this is where we're at. Um, that doesn't mean Ayo Akinola is going to necessarily play for the Whitecaps, but there is talk between the Whitecaps and Akinola's camp. And then, of course, even if Akinola would agree, Toronto still have to play ball. Toronto could also trade his rights to any other MLS team. You know, this could be a huge bidding war. Uh, there's lots of other teams interested. There's teams in Europe interested. I think where Toronto FC are right now is that it's either they're going to lose the player for free if he goes to Europe, or they could trade his rights to another MLS team and get a little bit. That's it, guys. Um, good wrap up. Great, great podcast once again. Uh, thank you for listening. And we'll be back on Monday. Cheers until then. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>